0: I absolutely love Seth. He's the man who can wear pink and flaunt it and be very proud of himself for doing it. So I love him for that. Yeah, I know, right? Not many men will do that. So good morning. I'm so glad you guys are with us this morning. Um, I'm Teresa Arntz, I'm one of the pastors here. So I have a question for you just to kind of jumpstart us. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that there's words that don't quite make logical sense? Like they're words that we use in everyday conversation, but when you read them in the Bible, it's almost like there's something entirely different about them. For example, the word dead. So dead to us means dead, right? It's no more breath, no more life. You're just dead. But the Bible says that the dead will live. A little confusing. Um, Jesus says, I have come to bring you life. And Jesus is saying this to people who are in fact already quite alive. A little more confusing. He also gathers his disciples around him and he says, hey guys, I want you to know that the first will be last and the last will be first. I seriously have this picture in my mind of the disciples just kind of gathering around him, looking at each other, cocking their head to the side and saying something like, you keep using these words. I don't think they mean what you think they mean. But do you, one of the ones that, that gets me the most is the word Blessed. Right? So we use this word all the time. And we usually use it in the context of we're lucky to have something. I'm blessed to have this job or my kids or this, they're in this school or their grades. I mean, all these things that we use this for. But again, the Bible uses the word blessed in a very different context. See, the Bible actually says, and these are Jesus' words blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't know about you, but how often do we really use the word blessed in that context in our everyday conversation? Not very much, right? My husband and I were part of a, well, we started to be a part of this adoption support group years ago and we show up and there's about six or seven other couples and it was our first time meeting together. So we go round table and every couple was sharing a little quick version of their adoption story and some of the struggles and difficulties that they were having. And everyone shared, including us, a little bit of the struggles, except for the last gal. So we get to the last gal and she just like had this big sigh of, Wow, I just feel so blessed because I don't have any of those. I mean, I'm so blessed because my adopted children made such an easy transition. I am so blessed that God gave me children that don't have any of those disorders. I'm so blessed that my kids bonded with me right away. I literally wanted to reach across the table and strangle her because I wanted to say, you keep using that word. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Because if she's saying that her life is blessed because if she had it so easy, does that make me cursed? Because mine wasn't? No, but see, it's, it's misinterpretations and misunderstandings like this that makes smart people believe dumb things like God won't give us more than we can handle. It's something that we're told frequently, but that's not true. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say those words. The only thing close to it is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but temptation is not the same thing as trials and suffering. What we're talking about today are life circumstances that take our breath away that cause anxiety and sorrow and panic and despair. Like a man who lost his wife and child in a car accident because someone decided to drive while intoxicated. Or a young girl whose innocence was taken too young because unfortunately there's evil in the world. Or someone who is crushed under the weight of anxiety and mental disorders. Or your parent whose son died of an overdose or infertility or crumbling marriages or crumbling relationships, finances, all of these things. They're agonizing and heartbreaking circumstances and they are way more than one person is capable of handling. And here's the thing, they happen to everyone. You're not blessed because this doesn't happen to you and you're not cursed if it does. So here's the truth that I want you to walk away with today. God does allow more in this life than we can handle because he never meant for us to handle this life alone. The Apostle Paul writes tons about unbearable situations that he went through. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, he wrote this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises The dead. Now, here the scripture not only reveals that we will have suffering, but it also tells us one, why we suffer so that we will rely on God, and two, how do we walk through the suffering by not relying on ourselves, but on God instead. And I love how at the end of that verse, Paul throws in, oh, by the way, God raises people from the dead. So if you're relying on Him, guess what? I bet that He can handle the things that you can't. see. to me, there is no better way to figure out how to do this than to study the example of Jesus. And we're gonna look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 today. If you have your Bible app or your Bibles and you wanna turn there and get prepared, that's where we're gonna land today. Many of the scholars refer to this as Jesus's most raw and emotional display of his humanity. But I like to refer it to as the moment that Jesus had more than he alone could handle. So Matthew 26, let's read this together. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, the disciples, he found them sleeping for they could not keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, "'Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. "'But look, the time has come. "'The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners.'" Now this encounter that the disciples witnessed that they shared tells me that Jesus gets it. You see, he had anguish over God's plan for him to suffer a violent and bloody death. He had sorrow so heavy that he was visibly shaken. All those human emotions that we have felt, the despair, the anxiety, the doubt, Jesus felt them too. His words exactly were, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Have you ever hurt so deeply that you felt like you would die under the weight of your sorrow? I have as a victim of sexual abuse, sorrow from infertility, rejection, false accusations, years of sleepless nights, fighting for my son's life, holding his blood in my hands and begging and asking God, where are you? And telling him that I can't do this anymore. But what I realized was I was so focused on what I can't do, that I was failing to see what God can do. So let's look really quickly at how Jesus walked this painful path of sorrow and unbearable circumstances that God called him into. He took basically three steps. Now the first step he took was he took his posse with him. I like to call it a posse because they all gathered and they walked and they went everywhere together. So he surrounded himself With people who were like-minded and shared his faith. And he shared with them just a little bit. He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He was basically telling his disciples, hey, I have some stuff that I'm dealing with. Now for us, this is the church. This, when you look around you, is your posse. See, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through stuff, deep, emotional, sorrowful, grieving stuff. I don't wanna be around you guys. And it's not you personal. I just wanna hide. I wanna be alone. I don't want anyone to see me in the state of mind of grief and sorrow. But this is what God says about that. Hebrews ten twenty five and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why would God tell us that we should not neglect meeting together? Because we need people who share our faith, who are like-minded, reminding us of the truth when we can't see it. We need other people to help carry our burdens. We need a posse around us so that when one person is weak, another who is strong can lift them up and help them carry the weight that they've been asked to carry. See, I believe that God connects us with other believers to encourage perseverance. When otherwise, we might just give up. Give up on life or give up on God. And see, when we've encouraged each other, when we have come together and let each other know that we're all going through stuff, then we don't feel like we're alone. And then we can take the next step. See, that was Jesus' first step. He took the people with him. He took his posse with him. The second step was he went deeper with his closest friends. Peter, James, and John are frequently referred to as in Scripture as Jesus' closest companions, his best friends, the ones that he loved the deepest. Jesus took these three deeper into the garden. He left the others at the, fo- at, the, at the entrance, and then he goes a little deeper into the garden, but he also goes a little deeper into his sorrow. In verse 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The Amplified Bible says that he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. He shared with these three a little bit more, a little bit more of what he was feeling. He got real. Jesus got real with his best friends. He didn't fake it. He shared his emotions and he asked for their support. And this is what I love. There's one tweak of a word could have changed this for me, but here's what Jesus said. He literally said, watch with me. He didn't say watch and pray for me. He said, keep watch and pray with me. Don't you think sometimes that we ask people to pray for us and then we put ourselves in a position where we are relying on somebody else's faith or somebody else's ability to talk and hear to God. See, I think sometimes that we rely too much on our friends and our family or pastor's faith that we don't get to go deeper and strengthen our own. But Jesus told his disciples, you're a part of this with me. I'm still doing my work. I'm still doing what I need to do, but I wanna bring you with me. Don't do this for me, do it with me. I think it's a dangerous place for our faith when we are facing more than we can handle if we leave it in somebody else's hands. And here's why Jesus knew that sometimes our friends, even in their best attention intentions out of deep desire and love and support, they try to rescue us from our pain that God has specifically called us to walk into. You see, Jesus experienced this earlier before the garden experience. In Mark chapter eight, it talks about this specific thing happening to Jesus. He gathered his disciples and he's telling them, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three, three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to represent Jesus for saying such things. Jesus turned around and he looked at the, the response on his disciples' faces. And then he looked at Peter and he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a, point, a man's point of view, not from God's point of view. See, Jesus told Peter to get away from me, Satan, because Peter wanted to stop what God needed to happen in Jesus' life. And so often our friends with good intentions want to take that pain and they want to take it away. But what God sees, what God knows is is that pain, it's that sorrow that actually brings us into a deeper relationship with God. So there's... There's three times that Jesus experienced as he was in the garden, a disappointment with his friends. He goes back and three times he found them sleeping. Couldn't you even watch with me for one hour? See, here's what Jesus taught me in this. Jesus asked his friends for support, but not answers. He said, come with me, but don't do this for me. He knew and expected their limitations as humans. He didn't spend hours mulling over every detail and going over and over and over and over again because he knew he had one more step that he had to take and that he only alone could take this next step. And that next step was he went even deeper into the garden And deeper into his sorrow, his third step was he got alone with God. So he brought his posse and then he took his three closest friends a little bit deeper into his sorrow, a little deeper into the garden. And then he left them and then he made that final step to be by himself because he knew that alone with God was where he would never be disappointed. Ultimately, he fell on his knees before God and was his most honest and vulnerable self. In verse 39, it says, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying. See, too often, I think we get stuck between step two and step three. Step two, where we invite people and ask them to pray for us, but we never take that final step to go along with God because I think we don't know how. We don't know what it looks like to lay our stuff down before God and be alone with God of the universe. And how do we even comprehend that we're gonna be alone with the God of the universe and receive what we need? Well, I think Jesus, when he was alone with God, did two things that I wanna mention that I think might help us deepen our faith and take God deeper into our own sorrow. The first thing I think he did was instead of being fake, he, just, he focused on being real. Has anyone else here ever felt terrified of really telling God how you feel? I mean, we know we have things to be thankful for, but there are things in our life that are not fair. There are things in our life that are too difficult for us to grasp. We can't make plans to fix it. We don't even know how the outcome's gonna happen. And so it causes this anxiety, but we don't wanna tell God that because... Where's our faith then? But Jesus told his father how he felt. He told him that he didn't want to do what he was about to do. Three times he full on begged God to take this cup from me. Don't make me do this, is what he was saying to his father. See the pressure of the physical and the mental and the emotional sacrifice that he was being called to make was too much for him to handle. And he was not afraid to let his father know how he felt about it. I remember the first time that I literally full on yelled at God and it felt so good. And it didn't feel good because I got it off my chest because sometimes we think that helps, right? No, you know what made it feel so good was what God decided to replace it with instead. See, when I emptied myself of all of those emotions, then I had the opportunity for God to put what he wanted in its place. I was shouting at God and how angry I was that I was not seeing my son be healed. And I won't go into all the details, but we had years of agonizing, wondering if our son was gonna live because he wanted to take his life. ER after ER after ER, and I was shouting at God, I can't do this anymore. Why, God, are you not fixing my son? Why can't you change this? Where are you, God? But behind each question was this deep current of emotion. And what I realized that I was really asking and saying was, God, I hurt. God, I am scared. I don't know how to do this. You see, if I didn't ask these questions to God and have this honest and raw conversation about how I felt, then he would never have had the opportunity to answer and fill me. And see, not asking God these questions leaves us in a very dangerous place of answering them ourselves. And let me tell you, we don't have the right answers because too often we blame God, that's our answer. Or too often we walk away from God or too often we believe the lies that the enemy tells us about our situation. The only place where you're gonna find the right answers of how to handle what God has given you is at the foot of the Father and alone in his presence. Only God has peace to cover our fears. Only God has the faith to fill us, to fill our doubt. And only God has the truth that can replace the lies that we so often get wrapped up in. Why do I believe God is the only answer? Because in John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You're going to the one and only person who is already victorious in what you're battling. He has already beaten death. He has nothing to fear. So why wouldn't we lay all of our burdens and all of our anxiety and all of our fears down at his feet? He's already won that battle. And see, once we're in a position where we can lay those troubles down and recognize him as our savior, then, we realize that with him, we can accomplish so much more. You see, we realize that we are in a position to receive his grace because we're no longer looking for it somewhere else. We realize we're in a position to receive his comfort because we're no longer trying to make our own way. We realize that he has already overcome. So I have nothing more to fear. And when we're in this position, then we can do the last thing that Jesus did when he was alone with his father. And that was he, instead of his own comfort, Jesus focused on God's will. 39, verse 39, he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Those are such hard words to say when we don't like what God has given us to handle. You see, Jesus could have ignored God's plan. He could have tried to make a different way. He could have flat out said, no, I'm not doing this. But instead he said, no, not my dreams, not my plan, not my will, not my agenda. He made God's agenda his greatest agenda, his highest goal. But I think sometimes our misbeliefs keep us from fully surrendering and fully giving in to what God has for us. And one of those misbeliefs is that God doesn't love us if he allows us to suffer. But Romans 8, 35 through seven says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. See, nothing can separate us from God's love, but we can choose to deny it, or we can choose to ignore it, or we can choose to just flat out reject it. I think the other misbelief that keeps us from surrendering is that we believe God is the enemy. There is an enemy in this world, but it's not God. And that enemy will try to answer all the questions that we're asking when we're struggling with more than we can handle. And he will convince you that you're alone. And that he will convince you that God has it in for you. But I think this is another reason that Jesus said, watch with me and pray. He didn't say bow your head and close your eyes because he knew that there were gonna be things that were happening that they needed to be aware of and they needed to be alert in. Because in 1 Peter 5, eight through nine, it says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm, in the faith because you know that the family, family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, when life is more than you can handle, we have to resist the devil, not resist God. We have to stand firm in our faith with those around us who can remind us of the truth and be alone with the Father who only has our back and our best interest in mind. God's not the enemy for allowing more than you can handle. In fact, he is the only person, the only being that will bring meaning into it. Very common verse, but so much truth. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. But guess who gets to define what good is? We have to surrender to what God's good in your circumstances is, not to our own, not to what we think it should be good, not to the purpose we want to bring to it, but what God says is good and what purpose he wants to bring to it. And it's only then that we can fully surrender to his plan and not our own. See, God led Christ to a place of sorrow and suffering for the sake of you, for the sake of me, for the sake of others. Doesn't it make sense that he would do the same with us as his followers, as his believers? See, three times Jesus went back to his father. He had this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Three times he went back and expressed his grief. He prayed the same words over and over again. He asked for another way. But then he had to make a choice. When God didn't change the circumstances, he realized that God wanted to change him. So he had to make a choice. Do I make this about me? Or do I make this about what God wants and surrender to his ultimate plan? As we know, he made the choice to surrender. You know, even now in the last couple of weeks, uh, my husband and I have been struggling with some things that I can honestly say are way beyond what we are capable of handling. And it's, it's so ironic because God does that. I think Matt and Kurt and all, anyone who speaks will testify and say that when you are going to preach on something, beware, because you're going to go through it. You're going to experience it again firsthand. And I have found myself crying out to God, I can't do this. I don't know how to make this happen. I cannot manipulate anything in a plan that will make this turn out okay. And every time I kept saying, I have to practice what I preach. So I went to be alone before God. And every time, this is what he said to me. He said, Teresa, I don't want you to look at the circumstances and the details of your life. I want you to look at me. And then Hebrews twelve two came into my, into my thoughts. And so I looked it up and it was fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and Perfector of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, do you realize what Jesus's joy set before him was? Was the victory that God had already claimed if you want to walk through the the difficult circumstances of your life that are more than you can endure, then you need to fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the joy that is set before you. Not the circumstances turning out the way you want or having a big bow wrapped on, put on top of it. He is the only joy that is set before you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I don't say this as a, well, this is what you should do. I have lived this. I have been on the side where I've tried to handle it all on my own. And I've been on the side where I have let God and surrendered to what his will and what his plan is. He is the only, the only answer to allow us to not just survive what we've been given, but to thrive and grow and heal and be overcomers. That is God's promise to each of us. Will you bow your heads? I wanna pray for you. Lord Jesus, I think we all have been at a place, maybe some of us are right now, at a place where we are walking a path that is way more than we can take on and endure and handle. And Lord, we need to come to a place where we either need to tell you that we're not gonna do it or that we're gonna surrender to what you have and trust and believe that you will bring purpose and meaning and victory within it. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, and maybe you're here today and you're thinking, okay, if suffering for Christ, if this is what God is calling me into, why would I ever wanna make a decision to follow him? because you know what there is suffering in this world regardless of whether you know Christ or not but I can guarantee you there's only one place where you're going to find the ability to endure it and grow in it and have something good brought out of it So if that's you today and you've never accepted Christ and you're facing circumstances in your life that are beyond your control, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, I can't do this anymore on my own. And I choose to invite you into my heart and into my life circumstances and bring more into it than I could ever make out of it. I pray that you would forgive me for trying to do this on my own. And I pray that you would be the grace, the peace, the comfort, and the faith that I need to carry on. And Lord, for the rest of us, I just pray that you would just open our hearts to a willingness to see that your plan is greater than ours. That your outcome is victory. No matter what the world sees it as, you will bring victory into our circumstances. Lord, I pray that we can surrender to what we want into what you have and what you've chosen for us to walk through. Lord, I pray that as we move through this last song, that you would just allow us to release just as Jesus did in the garden. He released all of his angst and all of his questions and all of his anxiety and he laid them before you for the purpose of you filling him with what he needed instead. I pray that you would do that for each of us. And I pray this in your name. And we're gonna sing this last song. And I just encourage you, if you guys wanna stand with me, I pray, and I pray that you would pray and that you would be able to go alone before the Father as you sing this song and that you can visualize and see yourself laying down your burdens at His feet. And that you are so fixed and that you have turned your eyes so completely on Him that everything else will fade away and that you can see the light and the hope that only he can give. I pray that as you go throughout your week, that you can stay in that spot of surrender and with your eyes focused on Jesus and not your circumstances. If you accepted Christ today, if you invited him into your life, into your circumstances, into your world today for the first time, we have a little gift for you. It's in these bags in the back on the tables before you leave, take one of these. It'll give you a little boost to get you started, kind of know what to do now, how to get going on this thing called faith. But I also encourage you, we have people that are gonna be up here ready to pray for you. Just like Jesus brought people into his world, into his sorrow, into his struggle. Don't leave if you need to make that step to do that. If you connected with Jesus for the first time today, tell somebody, because we need to do this together so that we're pointing each other and turning each other's eyes onto Jesus. And I pray that you have an amazing week. If you didn't get a chance to put your offering or connection card, you can drop those in the boxes in the back. That's a great way too. If you don't want to talk to someone personally yet, and you made a decision or you need help, fill out one of those cards and drop it in there because we want to connect with you. I pray that you have an incredible week of being focused on Jesus. Have a great week, guys. God bless you.